Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you and to worship with you this morning. Thank you to Aaron for that beautiful, special music. We're so fortunate here at Calvary to have such talented musicians at all of our services and just makes it a delight to worship together. We're kicking off a new series today, as you can see in your bulletin, called Favorites. And really what this is about is we're going to have some different preachers over the next couple weeks preach either their favorite message, their favorite Bible story, their favorite Bible passage, or a combination of all of those. So next week, Pastor Carol will be sharing with us. The week after that, you're going to hear from my dad, who has been a pastor for over 40 years. He's actually at Calvary, but Calvary Alexandria. So excited to have him. And then the week after that, my friend Sam, who is a pastor out in Woodbury Afton area, he'll be here to share with you. So I'm excited for this series. I hope you are too as we get prepared for the fall. And I was thinking about how this being summer, you know, summer is a favorite season for many of us Minnesotans, especially when we've been through a winter like we just went through, right? But I think we probably all have some favorite things about summer. You know, some of us, uh, our favorite thing might be to sit out on the patio or the deck on a cool evening. It might be going swimming. It might be going to the cabin. It might be ice cream all the time. Maybe you have a favorite about summer. And so, again, I'm excited for this series and to see what God is going to speak to us in the coming weeks. But before we jump in today, I want to acknowledge that I think it feels like we've been through a pretty heavy week as a country. You know, if you paid attention to the news at all, I mean, it's just one thing after another. You know, we have tragedies like the shootings that have happened, and it seems like people are more divided and there's more tension maybe than ever before. It seems like people are talking at each other and not with each other. It seems like there's just rhetoric coming from all different sides and I think most of us here would all just say, you know, it feels sad. And I think we would also say, things really just shouldn't be this way. And I think it's a common sentiment of people, even if they're not Christian, even if they have completely different beliefs, people look at the world and they say, things should not be this way. You know, this just doesn't seem like the way we should be living. And I think that points to the fact that God had a design, a perfect design for the world, and when sin entered the equation, everything got messed up. And we long for that day when God will return and make everything right. But I believe it's essential at times like these in our country, and our community, for us as a church to not just sit back and to not just watch as things happen. I think instead we're called by Jesus to represent him as light in the world. And it might look all different ways, but how can you be a light wherever you go? How can we represent peace and understanding, forgiveness, unity? And I think we also need to be willing as the body of Christ to call out any hate and any racism that we encounter because the Bible again and again gives us a picture of God's kingdom, which is for all people, that in the end, in Revelation, as we get a picture of eternity with God, there will be every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And so let's spend time on our knees in prayer about how we can help 
be a light in the darkness, especially during weeks like this. And as we encounter tragedy all around us, and we know it's going to keep happening because Jesus says that we're going to have trouble in this world, I think it's only natural to ask some big questions. You know, to ask, God, where are you in all the hurt? What is happening? What is his plan? And where in the world can we find hope? When things feel hopeless and they feel dark and they feel broken, where ultimately can we find the hope that we need? So you just heard this Bible reading today from Luke chapter 7. And I want to look at it with you one more time because I think it's good for to have some repetition to spend time in God's word. And so let's look at it one more time, starting in verse 11. It's also in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along there. And it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. And remember last week we talked about how he was always drawing crowds of people This is a small village, not too far from where he grew up. And a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was the widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, this is a key part, it says, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. We go to the next passage. He says, young man, I tell you, get up. And then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Notice the reaction of the crowd. It says, great fear swept the crowd. And they praised God, saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. And here's one more key. God has visited his people today. Now, first century funerals were scripted and structured. It was almost like a play. Everybody knew their parts. There was always a big procession. It was almost like a parade. And it would include family and friends and relatives. And there would be people who were ready to anoint the body and to prepare it for burial when they got to the tomb. And they would also hire professional mourners whose job it was was to make a racket, to weep, and to wail, and to make a lot of noise. Can you imagine to be employed as a professional mourner? I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. But these people are called into this, and the purpose of it is to provide cover for the family. The family's going to be devastated. They're going to be in tears, and so these people are kind of creating the racket so that they will not be so conspicuous. Well, as the procession would go through all the streets of the town, everybody would hear it, And they would come out and join in as a sign of respect and honor. So the parade would grow and grow with village people. It was a large crowd. And they would head out through the city gate. And they would go to the burial plot, which was always outside the town. Oftentimes it was a cave that a family would own. And it would be full of bones of other family members. But this time, something interesting happened because as the parade was making its way through the town, this little band of travelers came and met it. And right away, people noticed these guys. They didn't look like locals, but they also looked familiar because, you see, Nazareth was only five miles away to the southeast. And so you can imagine some of the funeral procession was thinking, 
what's his name again? Uh, is that Joseph and Mary's son? He looks familiar. We remember him when he was a boy. And as Jesus takes inventory of the scene, it says he was moved with compassion, so much so that he talks to the widow and he goes and puts his hand on the coffin and touches it. This would be absolutely shocking. No one would do this. Because if you got anywhere near a dead body, if you touched a coffin, you would be unclean for an extended period of time, which meant you couldn't go to church, you couldn't go to the temple or the synagogue, you were unclean. But what we see here is that for Jesus, compassion always wins out. He's more concerned about loving others and caring for others than following the rules. He puts the rituals aside in order to show compassion. And so what Jesus does is amazing. He says, get up. And this young man who is dead sits up straight in the coffin and says, what's with the parade, guys? What's going on? And everyone is shocked. Now, many times when Jesus interacted with people in the Gospels, it seems like he was calculating and he was planning it. Like when he met the woman at the well, he was there waiting specifically for her. Remember when he went to go see Zacchaeus, who was up in a tree, he knew where he was and he sought him out. But in this moment, it's spontaneous. Jesus wasn't planning on this encounter as far as we can tell, but he is moved with emotion and he's moved into action. I want you to look at verse 13. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. The word used for overflowing with compassion in Greek is the strongest word of emotion that can possibly be used. And I love the Message Bible, which Eugene Peterson wrote. He says, when Jesus saw her, his heart broke. Luke uses this word for deep compassion three different times only. This is the first time he uses it. The second time he uses it is to describe the good Samaritan when he sees the man almost dead beside the road. His heart breaks. The other time it's used is the father waiting by the road for his prodigal son to return. And when he sees his son coming, he's moved with that kind of compassion. This is a strong emotion of compassion. So what exactly moved Jesus in such a way? Why was he moved so deeply? Well, the clues are in the text. First off, this is this woman's only son, we're told. And not only that, she is also described as a widow. Now, this would be tragic at any time in history, but especially in the first century. Because if you were widowed, you would depend on your sons to provide for you. There was really no legal way for a woman to make a living. So now she's not only a widow, she also has no sons left. She'd be completely dependent on charity. She'd be completely looking in fear towards her future. There was no backup plan, no retirement accounts. And so Jesus, knowing this, is moved with compassion and he raises this young man from the dead. And the crowd is astounded, and they start to praise God. And they don't even know exactly who he is at this point. They're like, you might be a prophet. You're amazing. 
this boy who's no longer dead, you know, do they focus on him? Because that's unbelievable. Do they focus on the mother who is overjoyed at the development? Or do they focus back on Jesus, trying to figure out how in the world did this happen? But I love the crowd's ultimate conclusion. What they say is, God has visited his people today. Verse 16, God has visited his people today. Now, this doesn't mean that God just showed up to hang out, that God just came casually. There's a lot more meaning behind this idea of visiting. You see, it's an Old Testament idea that when God shows up to visit, amazing things happen. What it really means is that God has come near to help and to rescue. When the Israelites cried out to God in slavery, they were waiting for God to come and visit them, to come near, to help, and to rescue them. That's the sense of this word. Now, the thing is, the people spent a lot of time waiting for God to visit. They spent a lot of time praying and waiting for him to show up in the way that they needed. And we wait a lot today too, don't we? And waiting is awfully hard. But what we see here again and again is that God shows up and he visits at the right time in just the right way. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about miracles a bit and how miracles are signs that point to something greater. And again, that's true about this story. It's not just about Jesus raising somebody from the dead, which is an amazing miracle, but it points to something greater. It shows us a little bit more of God's character. That God is not a God who's content to sit off in the clouds. That God is not a God who's an absentee landlord who just kind of got the world going and then checked out. God's not a God who's unemotional. God's not a God who's not involved in the everyday that we go through. In fact, what we see is that God is a God who visits his people. God is a God who is present with us because he promises to be. And God is a God who grieves with us. Every one of you memorized the same verse, I'm sure, as a kid. The easiest memory verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, right? God is a God who has emotions, who grieves. And God is a God who has compassion. Jesus himself embodies the compassionate heart of our Father in heaven. Now, have you ever noticed, if you read through the Gospels, how Jesus had a soft spot for brokenhearted people? He was drawn to people who were hurting, who were in crisis, who had no hope. He was drawn to the lepers who were cast out of society. He was drawn to prostitutes who people would talk down to. He was drawn to the sad, the sinners, people with shattered lives. Now he talks about this calling in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The beginning of his ministry, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And look at this. He says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus has a soft spot for hurting people like you and me, like the people in our text today. 
Jesus saw the widow and her pain and her despair, and he was compelled to act. The same thing is true when he sees the sick, the blind, the lame, the lepers, the sinners. And it's still true today. God still visits his people when they're hurting and in pain, when they need compassion. And when God visits his people, he brings comfort, which we so desperately need. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles. I would circle the word all. There's no asterisk I've looked. It doesn't say sometimes. It doesn't say when you deserve it. It doesn't say when he feels like it. No, it says he comforts us in all, every single one of our troubles. Now, maybe you today, as you sit here, maybe you are in desperate need of a visit from our God. One of my favorite theologians is named N.T. Wright, and he invites us to reimagine our Bible story today in a more personal way. So bear with me. Use your imagination for a moment and think about something coming up this week that you're dreading, something that's bringing anxiety and pain into your life. Now, maybe it's something impending on your schedule. You have to go to the doctor. You have to have a test done. You're getting some test results. Maybe you're switching jobs. Maybe you're having a surgery. Or maybe it's something you unknown, that's unknown, but you're just afraid of it. You know, the possibility of a tragedy happening to you or a family member. Maybe it's a scandal that could come out. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's an accident. Or maybe it's something you're just immersed in right now. You have grief over the loss of a loved one. You're fighting a terminal illness. You just feel lonely or you feel hopeless. Just take a moment and feel those emotions. You might be feeling fear or sadness or worry or despair or anger or bitterness or all of the above. And you might find yourself even asking the question that's so natural to say, God, where are you in all of this pain? Maybe it feels like you're on a lonely road, like you're a part of the procession, but it's just you. As you feel that, as you imagine that, now imagine Jesus showing up as you walk that lonely road. Imagine Jesus coming on the scene And let him speak to you, let him touch you, and let him comfort you. Now, he might not do or say what you want him to or what you expect him to, but the amazing thing and the most important thing is that he is in the middle of whatever you're going through. And it's his presence that really makes a difference. Because with him present, you can make it through anything. Jesus feels and is moved by brokenness because he has experienced it. He knows what it feels like. There was a painter years ago named Joseph Turner 
He was a great painter. He had 123 of his paintings on display at a major art gallery. But as a newspaper went to write an article, they were drawn to just one painting that stood out amongst the others. And so they asked the curator for the story behind this painting. And they said in, 19, or in 1843, there were some sailors on a small vessel who were fighting for their lives, trying to keep this boat from overturning and capsizing in the English Channel. It was amidst a snowstorm and a windstorm, and this stumpy, scruffy little guy came out of the cabin and said, I want to be lashed to the mast. And they looked at him like he was crazy. But he was so insistent that finally they put him up in the crow's nest and they strapped him to it and they left him there for four hours. And he was pelted with ice and snow and rain and wind and the boat was tossed all about. Well, after the storm was over, he went back to his home and he painted a sea storm like no one had ever seen before because he had actually been through it and experienced it. You see, in the same way, Jesus experienced every emotion. He experienced what you're feeling. He experienced what it's like to be broken and abandoned and rejected as he hung on the cross for you and for me. Everything we encounter, everything we go through, he understands because he's faced it too. When we're in the midst of despair and discouragement, we need a savior who doesn't sit off in the clouds, but instead visits his people. A savior who will come and be with us in the middle of the storm. Now you might be thinking, well, I've never been to a funeral where Jesus shows up and pops the coffin open and the person gets up and walks. That might not be how he chooses to act, but he is still there with us. The promise that we have as believers is that even though we die, we will be raised again. That even though our body dies on earth, we will live forever with him in heaven. He won't always instantly fix <clears throat> everything that's wrong. But he'll continually remind us that one day he will come again to make everything right. Now, there's another verse in 2 Corinthians that I want to look at with you for a moment. Because it says that he comforts us. But remember, I always say circle the words so that. They're so important. It says so that we can comfort others. He comforts us in whatever we're going through. Not just selfishly so we can keep it to ourselves, but so that we can comfort others. When they're troubled, we can give I would circle the word same, the same comfort that God has given us. He comforts us so we can go comfort others. And I think there are so many ways we can do this, but I want to focus on two, how we can bring comfort and compassion to other people today. The first one is something this passage really is all about. It's giving the gift of presence, not like Christmas presents, presence like our physical being just as it is so important that God visits us in the middle of our hurt in the middle of our brokenness it's so important that we do this for each other 
Have you ever spent time stressing out on what to write on a card after someone dies or after a tragedy happens? I mean, trying to figure out, like, what's the right thing to say? How do we write this down? It sounds so weird. Or how about when you encounter someone in person and you might stress out, well, I don't know what I'm going to say to them. I mean, I hope I don't run into them. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. You know what? We need to focus way less on the words and instead focus more on simply being present. Most of the time, we don't need to say anything at all. We just need to listen and to sit and to be there for people. Your presence is maybe the greatest gift that you can give someone else. It's a favorite story. I remember my dad telling this in sermons when I was a kid about a little girl who was kind of just a handful for her mother. And her mother was trying to get stuff done around the house. And she heard about an invention. And it was an invention where she could record a story into a teddy bear. Like, there's an MP3 player in there. So she could sit down, read the book into the teddy bear, and this little girl could listen to it again and again and again and hear her mother's voice. So her mom's like, this is going to be awesome. I can give her the bear. She can go to her room, and she can listen to this story being read again and again, and I'll get a bunch done. So she gets her all set up, and then this mother starts to do things around the house, and suddenly she sees this little girl, like, right at her side, and she's like, Hey, I, I gave you the bear. You can go listen to the story as many times as you want. And the little girl looked up at her and said, But mom, I need somebody with skin on. And isn't that what Jesus was for us? He was God with skin on. And we're called to bring skin to other people, to be present with them, to walk with them, to sit with them through whatever their hurts are. There's another story I heard about a woman named Rebecca O'Connor, and she was a nurse in New York City who moved to Southeast Asia after that horrible tsunami hit a number of years ago. She set up a clinic, and suddenly they were overwhelmed with people. They had 100 people or more every day coming to their little mobile clinic. And they soon found out that there was a major hospital not very far down the road, yet people were opting to come to their clinic instead of going to the hospital. Well, finally, they inquired, why is everybody coming to us instead of the main hospital? And what person after person said is, well, if we go to the hospital, they treat us like a number. It's just mechanical. There's no emotion. But at this little mobile clinic where they couldn't even speak the language, they took time to listen, to be present, to encourage to give compassion, to give empathy. And it translated through the languages. You see, their presence, their time that they gave, communicated clearly. We care about you, and we share your grief. And they didn't even have to speak a word. The gift of presence is so powerful. When I was in seminary, we had to do something called CPE. I've talked about it before. It's clinical pastoral education. It's basically chaplaincy training. So you go to a hospital or a care center or a nursing home, and you learn how to visit people. And it was kind of a steep learning curve for me because when I get nervous, I talk aimlessly. 
So I came into people's rooms and I would feel like I needed to fill the silence. And I'd just start talking over the person. And my supervisor had to say, don't say a word. Just come and sit down and listen. And it was such an important lesson that I don't need to go in with all the answers. I don't need to go in and try to explain things away. No, people just want someone to be present, to be with them. And you know what? That's what they remember. I've been with people as they've lost babies, as they've turned off life support on a loved one, as they've gotten horrible diagnoses. And nobody ever remembers what I say. They just remember that I was there. So as you think about your relationships, maybe even someone you're sitting by, someone else in this church, or maybe someone in a completely different place, how can you share the gift of presence this week? Remember, God comforts you so that you can comfort others. Now, I think there's one more way that we can bring comfort and compassion to people, and that's to remind them that Jesus is already here. I think so often we pray, God, please come. God, come be with us. But the promise we already have is he is here. He says, I will never, never leave you or forsake you. He is with you through whatever you go through. He's with you every step of the way. Sometimes we just need to remind people, Jesus is already here. It doesn't mean you have to have every theological answer. It doesn't mean you have to explain away anybody's pain. Just give them the graceful reminder, Jesus is here. He understands what you're going through. He understands your pain. I mean, think about it. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a friend He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to hurt. And he knows what it's like to be put to death. We don't know all the reasons that things happen this side of heaven. But what we can do is trust his promises. He promises that he's here. He promises that one day he will come again and make everything right. And that in heaven there will be no more tears and no more pain, and no more suffering. So as we experience tragedy and struggles and hurt in this world like we know we will, let's take comfort, let's take heart that God is a God of compassion. He's a God of comfort. He's a God who visits his people, and he comforts us so we can go and comfort others. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you're not off in a cloud somewhere, that you're not an absentee landlord, that you're not uninvolved and unemotional, but instead you are a God who visits his people, that you promise to be with us every step of the way, and that you care about every single thing that goes on in our lives that you give us the invitation that we can enter your throne room any time of the day, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. And in fact, you went to the furthest extent to show your compassion for us and sacrificing your only son, Jesus. And so God, help us to take comfort today in your presence, 
in your compassion, in how you're moving. And then God, help us to go and comfort others. Help us to find ways to be present to others who are hurting. Help us to point others towards you, to help them realize that you're with them, that you're near in whatever they're going through. God, help us as a church to shine brightly into the darkness of this world. As we look around and there's so much mess and there's so much brokenness and so much tragedy, help us to shine our light brightly. God, today we also pray for our ministry partners. We pray for Holy Nativity Church in New Hope. And we pray for Lake Wapagasset Bible Camp. We're thankful for their ministry. We're thankful for the hundreds of family camp people who are at WAPO this weekend. We ask that you use both of these ministries to draw people to yourself, to expand your kingdom. We're thankful for their ministries. God, we pray for those in our church community and our wider community who grieve the loss of a loved one, who are dealing with a, with a hard diagnosis or other struggles. We ask that you would bring your comforting touch into their life and use us to come alongside people in your name. And so, God, we lift all these prayers up to you in the powerful name of Jesus. And now we join together in praying the prayer that he taught us to pray.